A popular outcast production. Shit, wait, what episode is this? episode 15, and today is January 5th, 2014. I'm Kevin Seibert, and with me is... Emmer Smith. And Mark Matters. Mark, how are you doing? Um, I'm doing alright. I just got done raking some leaves and listening to death metal at the same time, so my arms are very sore, because I was raking so hard. Are you going to shred the leaves then, like they shred guitars? <laughs> exactly. Alright, cool. And uh, are you drinking anything tonight? I am drinking. Um, unfortunately, I didn't plan ahead, so I didn't buy anything. So I ended up digging through the back of my fridge and finding a simpler times lager that I had purchased for some relatives that were visiting, and they're not super picky about beer. Mm. Simpler times is a lager, <laughs> and I'm not big on lagers. It's, uh, the, its main appeal is that it's $3 for a six-pack. That's a bargain. Yeah, and it's 6.2%, so it's respectable. That's that's cheaper than, like, Coke, isn't it? Cocaine? <laughs> I meant Coca-Cola, but yes, it is definitely cheaper than cocaine. It is cheaper than both, yes. Wow. And it's okay, it's drinkable. I, I'm going to, you know, kill a little bit of my liver just for the show's sake here. <laughs> Alright, and uh, are you playing anything that isn't portable? I am playing Super Mario 3D World on the Wii U. How is it? I think... Within the next few years, they're going to be using this game to teach game design in colleges. This is the most, like, streamlined, pure gaming experience that I've ever played. It is gorgeous. It plays amazing. It is inventive. It is exactly what Mario should have been when he entered the 3D dimension back with Super Mario 64 in 1996. It is one of the best games I've ever played in my entire life. That's a pretty glowing endorsement. It's incredible. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to picking that one up. I just uh I have to play through a couple more games that I already have to justify the purchase. Yeah, I understand. And I also picked up because GameStop sent me a uh, little coupon. So, I for basically free, I got Need for Speed Most Wanted for Wii U, and it's kind of broy, you know, it's it's like um you know, Fast and Furious kind of crap with, like, street racers and cops, but I like a good, like, arcade-style racer, and it kind it kind of gives me that fix. And it's absolutely gorgeous. The developers put a lot of work into the Wii U version. They actually were able to port the PC textures into the game, whereas the PS3 and Xbox have um, textures not quite as nice, so it's pretty much the, the best version of that game. Yeah. I was actually going to ask you if you're using it for a coaster, but uh... <laughs> no, it's 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 fun. It's stupid fun, and I enjoy it. I got it for free, essentially. So there you go. So I uh I saw on the uh on the Facebooks that um you had an altercation with a GameStop employee. Oh oh gosh, yeah. When I bought Need for Speed, the dude with his stupid mohawk was like, you know, 
Nintendo is the only company that makes good games for their systems, as I'm purchasing a third-party game for a Nintendo system. <laughs> and then he goes on to say how Zombie U sucked, and they have so many used copies, and for me, Zombie U was like one of the best survival horror games I've played in the past ten years. So again, he, it sort of insults me. And then he says, Nintendo really hasn't made a good game since Wii Sports. Wow. And I'm just like, okay, guy. <laughs> cool. <laughs> And I was just, all I said was, you know, I purchased 60 retail games for my Wii last generation and 20 for my PS3. So you can see where my allegiances are. Yeah, right. And he looked at me like I had a penis for a face. <laughs> <laughs> he Like, it was a look of just, he was stunned and disgusted when I said that. Which is ironic, because he's a dickhead. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so these are one of the many reasons why I do not prefer to shop at GameStop. But I had the coupon. I had to go. I I'm impressed that you managed to, like, not get in a fight with him. I could tell. My blood pressure went up, and I could tell that I was turning red. But... <laughs> All right, so, uh, Emrys, how are you doing? I am doing well, sir. And, uh, are you drinking anything tonight? Just water. That's a uh, healthy, low-calorie choice. I agree. That's the man's drink. The, ma the man's drink. It's the <laughs> breakfast of champions. <laughs> so have you been playing any games that aren't portable? No. No, I have not. I know for a fact that's a lie, because I was at the same <laughs> New Year's Eve party that you were at. Oh, that's true. I was playing... I played League of Legends almost the entire time. Oh, I guess I, I got back into StarCraft 2 a little bit. I just don't want to say League of Legends every every podcast. Yeah. Well, what, what kind of New Year's Eve party was this, where you're able to sit down at someone's computer and play League of Legends? Oh, we weren't sitting down at someone's computer. We were sitting at our own computer's... In our friend Randall's house, we just he, he does an annual LAN party on New Year's Eve where everyone brings their computers, we hook them into his network, and we all play video games for two days. That's hot. It starts at um, noon on New Year's Eve and goes until 11 p.m. on New Year's Day. Wow. <laughs> yeah. We, we briefly leave around like 2 or 3 a.m. to go get a couple hours of sleep, and then we come back. Yep. And that's every year. I envy your life. <laughs> it was uh, it was excellent, and I, I, I did get back into StarCraft 2. I forgot about that. Are you competitive, or do you just play a single player? Oh, I'm awful at it. I'm like a, <laughs> I'm like a diseased water buffalo when it comes to that stuff. But I enjoy it, and like I sort of know how the game works now, which is, makes it so I can actually play with Nathan, who knows everything. That's just, that's the Nathan buff. Yeah. That our our friend Nate has this there's basically like anytime you start playing a new game, there's this window where you win a couple of games because Nathan hasn't completely learned the ins and outs of the game yet. And mm. then after about the third game, you basically never have any hope of ever winning again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's close to the truth. You got to start playing co-op games with this guy. Uh yeah, we, well yeah, he's on our League of Legends team. There you go. I'm drinking Distress Brewers. It's uh, called Jesus. I don't know how to pronounce it really. Doesn't sound like you're speaking English at all. <laughs> yeah, well, I. It's a Belgian Christmas beer. Ooh. Um, it's brewed with spices, and it's described as a jolly blonde winter ale with a fluffy white cap. Its aroma is go. elegant with hints of fruit, spices, refreshing herbs, and noble hops. The taste is robust, Ooh. very complex, and quite dry for its style. This warming ale is our gift to you for the holidays. That's sexy. I had an amazing 
Belgian Christmas ale a few weeks ago. I completely forgot about it. Uh, Aflagem, are you familiar yeah. with them? Uh, Aflagem makes really good beer, but they have put out a Christmas beer called Noel. It was delicious. It was like red, almost like the color of Mad Elf. And it had the body of like a Chimay, but it was a lot sweeter. And then at the end, it had like this black licorice kind of taste. It blew my mind. It was so good. That sounds amazing. <laughs> it does sound amazing. What are you playing, Kevin? Other than at the land party, which we already talked about, um, I've been doing a little NES remix here and there. And other than that, I've just been playing stuff for the show. I, I've been mm-hmm. playing the Bravely Default demo. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Well, let's talk about that demo. All right. My initial impressions of it, of it are the instead of having the Bravely Default title, which makes no sense, they could have just as easily called it Final Fantasy XI for real, son. Because, <laughs> like, this is the really the first, fi- I mean, it's not a Final Fantasy game, but, like, it has all the same spell names, it has the same format, you know, four adorable anime characters in a party, um, mm-hmm. the same job classes that appear in Final Fantasy games, and... The items that resurrect you are called Phoenix Downs. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it. It really should just be called Final Fantasy, probably. But yeah, anyone who uh, is a fan of the old Final Fantasies should give the demo a chance. Now, is this a Square Enix game? Yes, it has some new ideas outside of the like you know regular Final Fantasy series, and some of them seem really promising. Particularly the the high emphasis on Street Pass. Yeah. That's cool. Gives it an air quotes cooperative play, I guess. Um, like the game really pushes you to try to make friends with people who play the game, or more accurately, you try to convince your friends to play it. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, there's there's some concepts that seem really interesting about this ab links, which are uh, linking of a friend's abilities to your characters. So like a, a, an ability that your characters don't necessarily know, you can link one that your friend's character knows to that character. You can yeah. also summon friends in battle using a send feature. I don't. It just it gives it an interesting MMO kind of feel without the actual irritating aspects of a real MMO like people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It also um, it lets you customize your characters quite a bit. You can assign abilities from multiple classes. It's a similar. It's a system that's kind of similar to um, Final Fantasy Tactics, and mm. it adds a decent amount of depth to the game. The way you can create combos of abilities that synchronize really well together. It has a quest system, so, you know, you'll talk to somebody in town, they'll give you a quest to go collect a certain number of, like, monster assholes or something, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably not a real quest in the game, but I I haven't gotten super far. It's always a quest. There's always assholes to... To get monster tail? To fenestrate, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, um, Well, the, the the coolest thing about the demo is your progress in it carries over to the main game once the main game comes out. Right. And this portion of game that is in the demo is not in the full version of the game. This is all exclusive gameplay that you get with the demo. Really? And to be honest, that's the only reason I'm even playing the demo. Because mm. otherwise, yeah, like, I, I downloaded the Fire Emblem demo, and then I was just annoyed that I had to redo it when I bought it at retail. Yeah. So, you know, it has some interesting components to it. Um, 
the brave and default commands in battle. I'm, I'll, I'll save that for the full review, but they're kind of hard to understand. Could be explained a little better, I think. There's no tutorial, really, with the demo. Right. That's the biggest hurdle that I had to overcome, was I had no idea what I was doing for the first half an hour. So once the main version of app is out, I'm sure it's going to have a very, very comprehensive demo, or at least menus that I can read to figure out how to do stuff. I have a decent idea of it at this point, because I've just I've played it enough. But I'm still, like, I'm still not sure that I understand the point of, you know, like, like the way you can use Brave or Default commands to add the most to your battle performance. I, I have no idea. So I'll be interested to see if they do any explanation of that in any tutorials in the retail release. As far as, you know, it, it, it seems promising. I'm not really into how heavily status effects affect the gameplay. Because I feel like I'm getting hit with something in every battle, almost. <laughs> yeah, I constantly needing to use items to cure poison or silence or whatever. Right, and it just it it breaks the flow of the game when every after every battle I have to open up the menu, use an item. You have to have constant items and a white mage with Asuna in your party. Right. Now, what is really cool is you can go into the options and say, you know. Only one of your characters is left, and just say he has one hit point left, and you're like, if I hit another random battle, I am screwed. You can turn off random battles and just run back to town and heal yourself. You can adjust the frequency of, of random battles, and I think that is a godsend, because when you have to redo part of a game over and over again, random battles are what make me quit RPGs. Yeah, yeah that's same. crazy. Well, but that's also my biggest gripe with the game to this point. We're still doing random encounters. And, like, I love JRPGs, so normally, like, I wouldn't gripe about this. But the way they handle quests makes it really irritating because of this choice. See, like, when you have to go out and get, like, a certain number of beast livers, that's your first yeah. quest, is get five <laughs> beast livers. And you can only get them from these panthers. Mm -hmm. But panthers aren't in every random encounter. Like, you can't just see a monster and be like, alright, I'll go attack that. You have to fight the demons, and you have to fight the snakes, and the snakes put poison on you, and you have to open up the menu yeah. and put on antidotes every other battle. <laughs> so, it's it's a strange choice, and I think it detracts from it. Really? Okay. But, yeah, like, I'm interested. I'm definitely gonna get, you know, the full game and play it through, or at least play it enough to do a review of it and finish it if I like it. We'll try to review it on the March 1st episode. Yeah, hopefully there'll be enough time. Alright, well, we had a listener request that we review a game, and I'm pretty short on funds. I wasn't able to purchase it, but... I can kind of do a review for it. I'll explain. Um, this is for Jeff Helgerson. He requested that we review Monster Hunter 3 Ultimate for the 3DS. My little disclaimer is that I've played a lot of the original Wii game that this is ported from, and I also purchased the Wii U version and put 80 hours into that. I've only played the 3DS demo version of Monster Hunter 3 Ultimate, not the full version, but cumulatively, I think I have enough experience with all three versions to at least give a fair set of impressions. The reason he wanted, I think, us to review this is it's dirt cheap right now online for a used copy. Um, it's still 40 bucks in the eShop, so I don't recommend getting it there. But if you've never played Monster Hunter, 
know how to explain it. Okay, so you and ideally some friends are forced to track and hunt monsters and then carve them up to make weapons and armor from their corpses. Um, much of the appeal of Monster Hunter games is the epic battles with these huge towering beasts and then showing off the armory that you've accumulated through obviously a lot of work because some of these monsters are very difficult to to, to defeat. And then every monster that you kill, from the little ones to the ones that are the size of the Empire State Building, offer different styles of armor or weapons. And there's so there's just literally thousands of customization options. So a lot of people like Kevin and Mike Bennett of the Popular Outcasts get turned off to the Monster Hunter games due to their high difficulty right out of the gates. This sometimes lengthy process of tracking, collecting items, and grinding, and the very specific and sometimes frustrating controls. Now, I'm going to have to cut you off there for a second, because it wasn't the difficulty that turned me off. It was the endless wandering around looking for herbs and attacking herbivore dinosaurs that (laughs) didn't fight back. Well, I I included that in there, the, the, the tracking and getting items and grinding and stuff. The thing that turned me off the most is the fact that every, like, eight or so attacks, you have to fix your weapon again. You have to disengage from battle and sharpen your weapon, and I don't understand why that's fun. Because it's challenging. I just find it to be (laughs) tedious and frustrating. Well, yes. Okay, so, fine, yeah. Hunting is tough, you know. Um, Once you actually track your prey, because you have to find them on the map, even if you have powerful weapons and skill, Sometimes there's other monsters attacking you at the same time you're trying to defeat this dragon that's the size of a Winnebago. And the monsters take so many hits, and they have no visible health bars. You have to read the monsters, sort of like, you know, in Punch-Out, you know, where a guy will, like, raise his eyebrow, and you're like, you know, that's when you're supposed to punch him? That's kind of how Monster Hunter is. You know, the monster will puff up its 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 chest, or it'll, like, glow or whatever. I don't even know. And that's, <laughs> you know, you know, when you have to attack. All the while, yes, maintaining stamina and keeping your weapons sharp. So yeah, it's it's tough. And my complaints with the Monster Hunter series primarily land in the controls department. The camera is a little frustrating, but this version, the ultimate version, is drastically better than any previous version of Monster Hunter. There's L-targeting now, similar to Zelda, and auto-targeting for the bot- bosses, which is a godsend. It's that's it, the most playable Monster Hunter to date. More annoying to me, though, are the long animations. You know, you'll be in the heat of battle, and maybe you need a potion because your health's getting low, and you have to time it perfectly so you don't get attacked while you're defenseless. But the animation <laughs> for healing is so unnecessarily long. Like, they drink the potion, and then... It heals them, and then they flex, and it's like, come on, like you don't need to flex every single time you take a potion. So it, it leaves you vulnerable for three, maybe five seconds, I don't know, and often I get hit when I'm trying to heal. As I mentioned briefly earlier, Monster Hunter 3 Ultimate is based off the 2010 Wii game, Monster Hunter Try, but they added a bunch of stuff. There's touchscreen functionality, new weapon classes, new missions, new monsters. It looks and sounds better. The 3D on the 3DS, and again, I only played the demo, but it's fantastic. For better or worse, though, the controls and the gameplay are pretty much identical. They might be a little bit more challenging due to the layout and the ergonomics of the 3DS. The biggest thing is it only has local co-op, and it's co-op is the best way to play Monster Hunter. 
Um, there's no online play on the 3DS version, so getting getting together a team of four to take down a big dragon is going to be really tough. I mean, if you can somehow stick to the single player, it's not a bad game. It's it. it there are dozens, if not hundreds, of hours of content. You know, depending <laughs> how dedicated you can get, but I don't know. I don't particularly recommend the 3DS version. Monster Hunter is strongest as a multiplayer game. No online play, unless you have three other friends to play locally with, there's a pretty good chance you're going to give up. And if you have a Wii U, get the Wii U version. And then maybe get the 3DS version too, because you can play it on the go, and you can transfer your characters back and forth from the 3DS to Wii U version. So you can maybe grind Monster Hunter while you're on the bus, and then take that character with his up upped armor and stuff, because um, there are no stats in the game. Every every bit of power and everything like that comes from the armor that you have, the weapons you have, and the items that you consume. You know, as as yourself, you don't grow as a character. See, everything about the Monster Hunter series, like, things like that sound really cool to me. It's just the presentation is so revolting, I couldn't get around it. Yeah, I don't know. It's not for everybody. So, uh, Jeff, I recommend getting the Wii version if you must. If you don't have a Wii U, wait for Monster Hunter 4. It hasn't been announced yet, but... Supposedly, they've really worked on streamlining the game, and we'll see. Download the demo. It's on the eShop. You can get it right now for free. Um, you can find a used copy at GameStop. They have a return policy. Um, you don't like a game, you can return it. A used game, you can return it within like a week or something. Um, decide for yourself it's for you. It's, it's hardcore, like beyond Dark Souls hardcore. It requires a lot of patience, and yeah, be warned. That's sort of a mixed endorsement from my perspective. Well, like I said, I really like... It's really difficult. It's really challenging. It takes a while to figure out what the hell you're supposed to do. And it's not for everybody. But I, I really enjoy it. For, for me, I understand why people like it. I just personally don't. like. They, they, they make choices that really frustrate me with the game design. Yeah. And the camera's completely awful. <laughs> well, they, they fixed it. For ultimate. So, let's review a game where the camera doesn't matter. Space Chicks for iOS. We talked about this a little bit in our last episode with Josh from Crescent Moon Games, but it's an endless runner game that has a twist. The levels alternate between piloting a spaceship where you collect coins and... Then you go um, jumping from planetoid to planetoid, taking gravity into account to ensure that you land where you want to land. It's kind of a, a similar a similar mechanic to Super Mario Galaxy in terms of the way gravity affects gameplay. A lot of it is, you know, gauging the way the game's physics are going to affect your landings. Your goal is to just go as long as you can. It's kind of arcade style like that where you're trying to top your own high score. Along the way, you'll find space chicks that are stranded, and you have to carry them to their spaceships so they can blast off to safety. Along the way, you're also trying to pick up coins that you can use to buy power-ups in the lab. What I really like about this game is the gameplay is simple, the play control is responsive, uh, and those two things just make the game, in, for me, a complete joy to play. There was never really a point where I felt like the controls were robbing me of anything that I, that I deserved. Um, and, and even when I would mess up and, you know, miscalculate on the gravity, like, I didn't find it frustrating. It was still really fun because it, it makes it sort of unpredictable. The physics allow you to do things like 
You can kick a rock on one of the planets, and the rock will fly and hit an enemy on a different planet. And that's a moment that just feels completely amazing, especially it's capitalized on because the game will actually go into slow motion as the rock is flying towards the enemy, and when it squishes it, it makes a satisfying noise, and then um, you hear in the background, you just hear like a bunch of people being like, Yeah! <laughs> the other thing that I really like about the game is the sense of humor, which is probably the best part of it. The whole game is really tongue-in-cheek. For example, there's... An ab- just for example, the name, Space Chicks. Yeah. An ability that you can buy is called a menage a trois, which um, the description of it is, gain the ability to carry two chicks at the same time. Way to go, tiger! <laughs> because normally you can only carry one, so like if you run into another one, you just drop that one and take the new one. Um, you know? <laughs> just like in real life. Exactly, right? You can also unlock all kinds of costumes that are very tongue-in-cheek and references to different aspects of pop culture. Probably my favorite one is Moonrunner, which is very clearly Michael Jackson. (laughs) Which version of Michael Jackson? Uh, The one from that Sega Genesis game. Okay. So just when he's (laughs) starting to become white and have scraggly hair. Sure. I mean, there's not a lot of detail on the sprite. To unlock most of the power-ups would require countless hours of playing and farming coins because that's how you unlock things you you get the coins in the level and that allows you to buy things if it's it's you know each coin that you grab is worth one and power-ups cost between like two to i think seven thousand coins wow. wow and per each game i generally get about 800 coins between 800 okay. and 1200 mm-hmm. uh so it's a lot of farming to get all of this stuff um, and that's where microtransactions come in. You can purchase coins, but it's not at all intrusive, and the only reason I even found it was because I looked for it. And the power-ups aren't even must-haves. Like, they they don't add that much to the game. They, they add, like, maybe a little bit of a new aspect to it, but it doesn't change the game so drastically that you feel the need to have any of them. Do you think you can reach the end boss of the game without ever doing a microtransaction? Is there an end boss? It's an endless runner. <laughs> True. By definition, there is no end boss. Right. I, yeah, I, I I don't know. So would you say that Space Chicks kicked your ass, Kevin? It's hard to say. Like, I don't know how the average human being plays this game, like how well they play it. I just I just wanted you to say on the air, Space Chicks kicked my ass. That's, that's what I wanted. I'm not here to give you everything you want. <laughs> <laughs> I, will, I will say no such thing. Oh. I don't want to go into too much more on Space Chicks because we did talk about it a decent amount with Josh on our last episode, but I highly recommend Space Chicks, especially because it's free right now. Um, There's no reason to not pick it up. I've, you know, I've already put a number of hours into it, and, you know, it's it's a fun game to play and just, you know, has a goofy sense of humor, and that's why I recommend it. Cool. I wouldn't mind hearing about a more hardcore game (laughs) like Star Traders. is a hardcore game. I was I was thinking about that when you were talking about Monster Hunter because it's really uh, it is pretty hard. Like um, for example, I just died. I was I was fiddling with it while 
were all talking, I died <laughs> because I um I dueled to the death with an enemy captain and he killed me because he was tough. Wow. But uh, Star Traders is a uh, sort of a it's not really a 4x game because you don't actually build any other units. It's a space trading game where you play as a ship, as the captain of a ship. And you have to manage um, your ship repairs and your fuel, which is also water for some reason. So you have water fuel. And um, manage morale of your crew and hire on crew members and all that stuff. Graphically, it's very simple. It doesn't really have any animations. Uh, the space environment is a grid where each star is sort of a square. Where there's like points in between the stars and the stars have planets around them. And you just um you just tap to fly between planets and you'll run into different ships in between them. And so most of the ships you can avoid. Some of them are pirates and they'll attack you. And like ultimately there's no real goal in the game except what you make for yourself. So what the the game sort of throws you in with one quest to do, which is just go to spaces and talk to the planet of the faction that you selected. And so you do that, and then it recommends that you take more contracts, which pay money, you know. And the contracts are are are, are pretty self-explanatory. Like go to this place, find this ship, and destroy it, or like go there, board it, and bring back the cargo. And then you get paid and you get faction points. But it never actually, like, shows this stuff happening? It just kind of tells you, or what? You get a quest at a planet, and then um, it'll give you a spot that's, like, I don't know, some number of squares away. And so you have to fly your ship there, and each square that you move takes up fuel. Mm. So um, managing these contracts is really important because you don't want to use up all your fuel and then not be able to get back to turn the contract in. Uh, the combat is, it's really simple. It just shows the two ships on the screen. And then there's like this whole sheet of stats, <laughs> which shows like the damage on your hull and your sails, which I guess are like interstellar mode of transportation is sails, and your engines, which is for getting close range. And all this stuff can break, and you can run out of weapons and stuff. There's really a lot to keep track of. The way I like to play is as a pirate. And I always pick the same. So the, one of my biggest complaints with the game are that the different factions, I think there's six different factions, is that none of them really have any personality. Like, there are no NPCs that you talk to. It's just you have to remember which icon stands for which faction, and that's really the only difference between them is they have a different icon. So, it can be hard to keep track of, like, am I doing a mission for these guys, or these guys, and which guys are at war, and one person wants me to spy on the other person, but I'm at war with them, and so if I try to spy, then they'll probably just kill me, and it can get really confusing, especially if you put the game down and, like, pick it up again a few days later, like you would do with a mobile game. So in that regard, it is pretty hardcore. Uh, I like to play as a pirate, and I always pick the same syndicate, which has pirate ships. And what you do as a pirate is you go to a planet nearby, and you just blockade it and make money. And then any ships that approach you, you board them. And then you have to kill the captain in a duel. Is it a hand-to-hand -hand duel? You just push the duel button. <laughs> 
So in combat, the two ships are on the screen. You have all those stats, and then you have choices of action, like you can run away, you can move in closer, you can shoot torpedoes, you can fire your guns, you can move closer, and then eventually, if you're close enough, you can board them. Or you can ram them, which obviously is not a really good maneuver, but uh, but all all that happens is you push the button and then it tells you the results. Like it just tells you in words, you know, or your the little icons move closer together. And there's some there's some fire animations, but it's all very abstract, you know. So it's easy to just hit duel and then die because you forgot that your captain only has one hit point left, <laughs> which is what happened to me. But there's lots of different ways to play. So you can be a trader, where you just go to one planet, buy goods from them, and then go to a different planet and sell them for a profit. Hmm. You know, um, you can be like a a spy, where you go and you observe enemy planets and then sell records to um, a different faction. And then, which is crazy... <laughs> What happens after a certain amount of time is that these alien spaceships that are ridiculously overpowered start appearing in deep space. And that's when you that's when you die. <laughs> like, uh, one of the things I love about this game is it has all kinds of unlockables. Like you can unlock different starting ships. And like there's lots of achievements. Uh, and the achievements are a good motivator to like keep playing and like try to unlock new ships and new uh new professions. Is there a reward that accompanies the achievement? No, you well, you get the achievement and then it will unlock it'll unlock a new ship, a new profession, or a new upgrade for a ship in game. So like like there's a an extra water tank, I think, that you can't get unless you've unlocked one of one of the achievements. And so every time you play you just won't have access to that water tank until you unlock the achievement. And it can be pretty motivating. Um, to try to get these achievements, because I like getting the starting ships. Some of them are really um, a lot better than the default ships that you get. One of the one of the achievements is you have to survive for like 20 years as a wanted criminal. 20 in-game years, so like one turn is like a week or something. I don't know, but it takes a long time, and it's actually pretty hard. And you have to do it on like the one of the more challenging difficulty levels. Where you have like permadeath and stuff. At the lower difficulties, there's no permadeath. I feel like if the game really wanted to be hardcore, it should be 20 y- real years. <laughs> yeah. And you just can't get rid of your phone for 20 years. <laughs> uh, the, the the game actually, since you bring it up, the game does have a feature where you can transfer all of your characters to a new phone if you if you end up doing that. So. Oh wow! It's future compatible. It has cloud storage. It's a pretty mature program. I, I've been playing it for like three years. It's been on my phone. So it's not new, but it is quite good. Anyway, getting back to my story, I was trying to get this achievement, and I was almost there. I was in within like a few game weeks of getting this achievement, and I was being really careful. I was staying out of deep space. And then I went to do this mission, which was one square. <laughs> one square of the path between these two planets was deep space. I was like, yeah, what are the chances that I'll get ambushed by an alien? And of course I did. It was too fast and too powerful for me to even run away from, and so it just destroyed me. (laughs) That was really frustrating, but... So getting those 
achievements is, is pretty hard, and it's a, it's a good challenging game. And it does come in multiple difficulties, it's just that if you want to unlock stuff, you have to play on, like, the demanding difficulty. It will test your patience and your ability to gain count, which is really the two skills that the game um, requires of you. I really enjoy it, and um, it's free to play Star Traders, um, but there's an elite version which has all the unlockables and stuff in it which is only like $5, so I recommend, I actually recommend paying the 5 bucks. There's no other microtransactions in it, and it's it's a good value game. If you like that kind of um, strategizing and, and uh, resource management, if you enjoy that, then it's, a, it's really good. The Treese brothers make it, Corey Treese and Andrew Treese. Uh, they have a couple of other games. It's on the Play Store. Check it out. Uh, Star Traders RPG Elite, they updated a lot too. Like, um, they updated really frequently with new ships and, um, new mechanics. All kinds of good stuff. It's still being updated? Oh, yeah. That's great. Yeah, the last time it was updated was on, uh, January 3rd. They added two new ships, changed some of the mechanics, rebalanced it. It's all, I mean, they don't change it that drastically, but um, it's gotten a, a nice graphical overhaul since I started playing it, and like lots of new content, yeah. They have a bunch of other games too, which are good, and I may review them in the future, because I haven't played them, just the uh, Star Traders. reviewing a game called Continue 987654321. This is a game for iOS developed by Starving Eyes, which is a company that consists of, as far as I understand it, one person named Jason Oda. You can purchase it on iTunes in the App Store for $3.99 and on Steam or the Humble Bundle for your PC, Mac, or Linux computer for, I believe, $7.99. I'm going to hereby refer to the game as Continue, because its name is ridiculously long. In Continue, you play as a recently deceased video game character, trying to find peace with death, and perhaps escape from its game's RAM before being inevitably deleted from it, and therefore erased from existence. Continue is a journey through limbo or purgatory, and it's about the thoughts and emotions and dreams that are perishing, along with the minds encapsulating them. More than anything, the developer stresses that Continue is essentially a work of art with a message. It's intended as an exploration of death and our desires. Perhaps it's also a question asking what's really important. If what's important to you are metaphors and existentialism, then continue will be right up your alley. I mean, and if this all sounds a bit pretentious, maybe it is, but the game largely delivers. So, much of the game is randomized. There are six potential characters that you'll play, and they're randomly assigned to you, and there are 11 possible areas to explore, of which you'll only play 6 in any given session. Environments range from a tropical island village, 
uh, a war zone to a small southwestern desert town. There's no set order to anything, and no two sessions will ever be the same. The gameplay of Continue involves exploring one area at a time within a time limit, seeking advice or assistance from the NPCs while trying to escape the occasional data purge and simultaneously rebuild this hub town and clear the path to the next area. There's kind of a lot going on at the same time. Occasionally, these like data-eating monsters that remind me of Stephen King's Langoliers will, will be roaming the streets, and if you're damaged by one, you have to do this sort of like little horde battle where like waves of them come at you and you have to kill them with your sword. As time passes in the game, depending on the level format, there are the, these periodic data purges accompany themselves with mini-games. The mini-games are these awesome little segments inspired by like Legend of Zelda, where you have to go through a dungeon, or Space Invaders, where you have to shoot these creatures coming at you, and um, a lot of old-school influence here, and it's really cool. Um, so they explore these different modes of play and different graphic styles, which, speaking of visually, the game is very comparable to, um, say, Minecraft, or, or even better, like, 3D Dot Game Heroes, which was an amazing game for PlayStation 3. So it's, you know, rendered 3D, 8-bit style graphics, but fantastic lighting and, and really great design. It sets this really simultaneously sort of beautiful and eerie tone. If you picture like an 8-bit Silent Hill, you're, you're kind of on the right track. And had I played this game sooner, you know, it came out in December, I would have voted it for best graphics uh, in our end-of-the-year episode. Uh, the soundtrack in Continue is beautiful, and you'll want to play with headphones to, to just really absorb the full impact. I, I would not play this game on the train or the bus. You know, sit down for the hour or two that it takes to finish a playthrough by yourself, in silence, maybe even in the dark. I, I think you'll be glad that you did. My biggest complaint about the game are the controls. And I know this the developer is sick of hearing about it. I mean, there are plenty of controls complaints in the reviews on iTunes and the reviews that I've seen in the press and when when he does updates and you can read the notes and sometimes he'll write in all caps improved controls and he's done this more than once so it's an issue but it's not really it's it's not really his fault you know 3D navigation and analog stick style controls are really hard to perfect on a touch screen i think there are several different control pad options and the two-button jump attack layout is customizable as well. If you're rich and you own one of those like fancy iPhone iOS controllers, this might be the time to break it out, although I'm not 100% sure that Continue even supports them. I think everyone will have different reactions and feelings uh, in a playthrough of Continue, I found it to be very moving. Sometimes it made me feel lost and helpless. Sometimes I felt sorrowful or small. Mostly, though, the game made me feel aimless and confused. Not always in a bad way, but sometimes in a bad way. Um, and that's maybe a statement on my subconscious view of death, but it's also my perspective on the flow of the game. 
your objectives are, are they're fairly clear, but too often I'd I'd reach the means to these ends by mere happenstance. Much like the the classic games that inspired continue, I think repeat plays and memorization are the are the keys to success. In spite of this this desperation for safety and and, and maybe you know a, a fool's hope of survival that the game gives you by playing the way that it does kind of adds to the atmosphere. You know, when you die, the shelters that you're trying to build any, anywhere from like one to seven of them can be destroyed. And like the point of the game pretty much is to like rebuild this hub town. I mean, it's not the point of the game, but one of the goals of the game is to rebuild this hub town. But if you die, there's a data purge and bam, you know, a couple of these shelters are destroyed. And you start to feel very desperate and, like, the t clock's ticking and it's, it's very oppressive sometimes. But I think Continue is a game that demands multiple playthroughs to see everything and, and to grasp any possible understanding of the overall narrative. Anyone who sits down and tries to rush through it once and then never return to it, I'm really going to miss out. I've never had a successful playthrough of the game where, you know, I was able to finish everything that I'm directed to finish. And I don't even, I don't even know what happens when you do, my characters always just, they met their doom and delivered this depressing message and then just disappeared forever. Oh, so you never got to the end of the story. Well, the thing is, I technically, yes, but I didn't accomplish what the game tells you you're supposed to accomplish, and then you're just deleted and you, you, that's it, and then the game just start, restarts. Oh, that sounds existential. It's, yeah. Well, I'm not even sure you can survive, though. And it doesn't really even seem to be the point of the game. I mean, that's my interpretation. Continue is a game that I think just demands thought and maybe even self-reflection. After multiple plays, I'm, I'm not even sure I get what it's all about. You know, it was really hard to write this review. But, you know, as long as I'm investing thought, I'm thinking about the game, I'm, I'm communicating about the game, and my thoughts and emotions are into it at the time, I think, I think the developer will feel like he did his job. But Continue is a game, I've never really played a game like it, and... You know, it's an experience that I think will haunt me for a long time. It's, it's one of a kind, and I highly recommend it. Kirby's Dream Land was originally released in 1992 on the Nintendo Game Boy. It was developed by HAL Laboratory. Uh, it's available on the 3DS eShop for $3.99. Uh, the story of Kirby's creation is pretty interesting. Um, he was originally created by uh, Masahiro Sakurai. Uh, I don't know if I pronounced that correctly or not. But he's also known for creating the Super Smash Bros. series. Kirby was originally a placeholder sprite for a game, but Sakurai decided to use the Kirby sprite instead of the original character, and that was how Kirby's Dreamland was born. So, 
despite its childish appearance, the game was actually really fun. Because I, I remember seeing screenshots for it coming up in Nintendo Power back in, you know, the early 90s, and thinking, man, I'm never going to play this game, it's for babies. But, I don't know, like, marketing worked to Nintendo's advantage, and I saw some commercials, and it looked really cool, so uh, I ended up playing it. Well, I'm actually interested in... What was the character supposed to look like? I know Kirby was the placeholder. What did the other character look like? I have no idea. Oh. I know. Like I, 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 I researched it, but I, I didn't. I didn't find anything. That's not to say it isn't out there on the internet somewhere. But I, I didn't find it. The premise of the game for the two people who have never played a Kirby game or don't know anything about the character: <laughs> uh, Kirby eats his enemies by sucking them in and then shoots them back out to attack other enemies. He can also inhale air and use that to float. Kirby's Dreamland, however, is different than the other Kirby games because he didn't yet have his ability to copy enemy powers. So he was limited to sucking and spitting. That's right, he sucks and then spits. <laughs> oh, like all my ex-girlfriends. <laughs> um, he could he could also eat curry, and that gave him the ability to shoot fireballs for a short period of time. Or he could eat a mint leaf and shoot blasts of air with rapid fire. The whole appearance of the game and the series as a whole is very um, childish and cutesy, and none of the enemies look exceptionally villainous. You actually almost have to kind of wonder how big of a threat any of the guys really are. I kind of, I kind of like to think of Kirby as the bad guy of the series because you know you see like all these cute little Waddle Dees running around and. You know, and here here Kirby goes running around and eating all of them. It's sort of like something out of a horror movie almost. Because he's like, he's sucking them in against their will, swallowing them. And particularly in the later games, developing an aspect of that character that he's just eaten. So it's almost like the Borg from Star Trek. You know, he's like assimilating everything around him. And, you know, so you can almost picture like a Waddle Dee, you know, and his family being approached by Kirby. And the dad's like... Run, kids! And the kids are like, But what about you? And the dad's like, Don't worry about me, I'll be fine. And the kid's like, I love you, daddy! <laughs> I'm having a cough attack now from laughing. <coughs> well, the story doesn't have a happy ending. The dad mm. gets eaten. Yeah, the dad is King DDD. Yes, and. Well, no, actually, you can't eat King DDD. He's too big. Just, you just, I guess, you know. King DDD could get sucked, but he's, he's a big guy, so he has to pay extra. Yeah, Kirby's mouth can't stretch that far. <laughs> yeah, so Kirby's Dreamland, the original, was a pretty short game. It's really just four levels, and then the final level, which is an amalgamation of all of the previous levels, and then the final boss fight with King DDD. Don't you have to do a freaking boss parade in that last level? Yeah, but it's not challenging by any means. No, I I think my record for finishing this game is 15 minutes. That's around where I am. It's it's a real speedrunner's game, because it's very short. Uh, and even by today's standards, it's not very challenging. Mm-hmm. And back in the 90s when I originally played it, you know, alongside games like Dr. Wily's Revenge and Metroid... Um, it was especially easy. I, I never actually yeah. owned the game, because uh, oh. my friend bought it, and I went to his house one afternoon, and I beat it in an afternoon. <laughs> so, it's, you know, it's a pretty easy game. It won't yeah. take you very long to beat if you have any degree of skill at platforming games whatsoever. Yeah, and that's, you know what, 
that's kind of how all the Kirby games are. I don't, I've never played a challenging Kirby game. You know, a, le- uh, a level here and there might take a couple tries, but right, you know, they're not very even like. But that's not the point, you know. Like Epic Yarn, you pretty much can't die. The worst that you can do is lose all your coins or gems or whatever the heck you have. Yeah, you know, and then it becomes like a, a beat your own high score kind of game. But that game is amazing, beautiful, and just wonderful. So I don't Kirby. Not really about difficulty, I guess. No, the, the series as a whole isn't. However, at this point, you know, being 2014, and the simple fact that Kirby's Dream Land 2 is also on the eShop for three ninety nine, and it's a much longer game, and you can copy enemy abilities, and you can ride around on Kirby's friends, you know, the hamster Ooh. and the owl and the fish. Yeah. It's the same price for a much more substantial game. And while I have a good degree of nostalgia for the original Kirby's Dream Land, yeah. it would be hard for me to, say, spend $4 on that instead of Kirby's Dream Land 2. If you are an enthusiast of the series, it's definitely something to pick up, just because it's fun to see his humble roots. But it is a very short game, and there's not really a whole lot there. There's not a lot of replay value, mm-hmm. other, other than just the replay value that every old-school video game has. Is this the only game where Kirby was white? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this was, well, because it was the black and white Game Boy, the pea soup screen, so actually I guess Kirby was green originally. Yeah, but on the box art for Kirby's Dream Land, he, he's white like a ghost. The other thing is you can, for six ninety nine get um the the 3D classics of Kirby's Adventure, mm-hmm. which was originally for the NES, which I feel is a vastly superior game. Now, it's a couple dollars more expensive. But it's really good. It's an amazing game, yeah. Yeah. I, I, despite how easy that game is, I played it and replayed it and replayed it. I had three 100% save files on my NES cartridge. Jeez. Yeah. So, I would say probably get that or Kirby's Dream Land 2 instead of Mm -hmm. Kirby's Dream Land if you don't already have it. But it's a, it's a really solid choice. It's a fun platforming game. And it certainly won't hurt you to play it if, you know, if you're a Kirby fan. I concur. <laughs> so that's Kirby's Dreamland. I don't know if you had anything you wanted to say about it. No, I, I, you know, I have a lot of nostalgia for Kirby's Dreamland. My friend Will and I would play it all the time. And so I really like it, but I, I, you're, all your points are completely valid. Mm-hmm. Like, there are better Kirby games. Yeah. I should also say that even though I beat it at my friend's house in one afternoon... That was not the last time that I played it, even at his house. Like I, we just It was a game that, even after we had both beaten it, we just kept going back to it. Yeah, I've probably finished that game ten times. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things where it, it's, it's an actual good filler for what most people use their iOS games for. You know, when you're standing in line at the grocery store, you can easily play an entire level or two in the time that it takes you <laughs> to get through that. Yeah. If you're there at a peak time. Okay. That's pretty much it for this episode. Uh, so we wanted to just uh, remind you to, uh, if you're going to go online and shop on Amazon like everybody does, uh, go ahead and clear your cookies or open your browser in privacy mode. If you use Chrome, go to popularoutcasts.com and click the purple Amazon banner. And that gives the Popular Outcasts a small cut of whatever you spend at no additional charge to you. And that helps out with hosting costs and yachts and things like that. Hand jobs. Sure. It's always hand jobs. Well, that's where my mind always goes hand jobs. 
Well, that's what I spend my Amazon banner money on. What you get with Portable Power Podcast is top-tier humor and people that can't pronounce podcast, because I just said podcast. Anyway, we're also on Twitter, at Portable Power FM. Uh, that's pretty much a free-for-all these days. Any one of us could be manning the helm there. We actually have a game going where if you guess the correct person, you get a certified no prize. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Facebook.com slash Portable Power Podcast is where you can find a lot of fun things, such as pictures of Emerson's Christmas presents. And then email us, portablepowerpodcast at gmail.com. You can reach us on any one of those outlets and do game requests, such as Jeff Helgerson's request for Monster Hunter this episode, or whatever you want. We'll review anything as long as it's portable. Or any kind of question. Life, love, you know. Penis length. Penis length, whatever, you know, what kind of beer goes good with this and that. Whatever. You want me to write you a happy birthday song to the tune of Green Day? I'll do it. <laughs> so anyway, I've had a little bit to drink, and... <laughs> As have I. And that's how you know we've had a good episode. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, I'm going to go play Super Mario 3D World now. All right. Thanks for listening, and have a great night. We'll see you on February 1st. Penis.